All right, well, good morning and welcome to everyone who is watching and following along with another edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Interview Series. I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, and as always, I'm happy to bring you another exciting edition of Hall Call. But before we get started, I want to thank all of our sponsors. You can see them over my shoulder. Uh, the City of Virginia Beach, Priority Automotive, the Beck Foundation, Davcon Inc., Optima Health, White Claw Hard Seltzer, ESPN Radio 94.1, Hamilton Realty, and Davis Business Appraisers. We are able to bring you programs and events like Hall Call and the upcoming induction because of them. And speaking of the upcoming induction, we're just 29 days away. And this is the 50th induction in our history. And if you've been following along over the last few months since we made the announcement, you know that it's a big one. So it is 50. And today we continue that discussion with one of our incoming 2023 inductees, Bob Rattans. Originally from Long Island, New York, Bob came to the Commonwealth in the mid-70s to play lacrosse for Roanoke College, and throughout his four years with the program, he elevated the Maroons to unprecedented levels of success, leading Roanoke to two Final Fours and the 1978 NCAA Division II National Championship. The 1978 National Defensive Player of the Year and National Player of the Year would make sure that the 78 season finished really, really well for the Maroons as he scored the winning goal in a 14-13 victory over Hobart College. Since his playing days, he's become a staple in the Southwest Virginia community as co-owner of Mac and Bob's Restaurant and an active alumnus for Roanoke College. Soon, he will be able to add Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee to that list of accolades. So Bob, thank you for taking some time to join us today. Oh, glad to be here. So, you know, let's kind of get this started. I, 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 before I, before we get started, as as always, everybody, if you're watching and following along, you want to throw a question up, please feel free to do that. Um, but as we get started, Bob, you're from Long Island. How did you find your way to Roanoke, Virginia in the 1970s? That's a great question because, you know, back then you didn't commit early. You know, it was like usually the spring of your season year when you decided what school you're going to go to. So I was just not really sure what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to go to college. My, my, my dad had passed away when I was 12 and my mother uh, never went to college. But after my dad passed away, she went to community college and then got a nursing degree. So there was no one really guiding me in a, a direction of college, but I knew I wanted to go and I knew I wanted to play lacrosse. So as I was playing my senior year, um, we played in a, uh, a game that uh, we were undefeated and played another high school rival. And a player on that team was really impressive defenseman. He shut down our, our high scoring attackman who won a plane at University of Massachusetts and setting records there. And nobody shut out this guy, Jeff Spooner, but this guy, John Pirro did. And I was like, where's that guy going to school? And he said, uh, Roanoke College, never heard of Roanoke College. Then we played another really good team up in North, upstate New York. And the goalie was the best goalie I've ever seen in high school, outside of my goalie in college, high school, Charlie Brown. But outside of that, he was amazing and he he was really good. And I asked, I wonder where that goalie's going. And uh, he's going to Ronald College. I was like, wow. So I get a call from the coach and he was building a team. I get a coach, a call from John Pirro, who was a freshman and said, Bob, we got some really good recruits coming here. You can complete it and help us get, tighten up our defense. And um, so I, I liked it and played, you know, I, I had some uh, letters from Hopkins, from Navy, from Maryland never really followed up on him. I didn't really, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to do. It was like, let's figure this out. But I did want to go to a smaller school. I wanted to go south. And when Coach Griffin called me up and informed me that we were playing Duke, UVA, NC State, uh, UMBC, Salisbury State, Towson, all the, all the really big schools. Because back then, 
uh, Division two and three were kind of combined. So it wasn't like it was a Division two, three national championship, but then it was Division one. But um, so I looked at their schedule and uh, he said, we have 1,250 students here. We can play the big boys and have what you want. A small school in the mountains of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I came down to visit it, visit the college. And uh, I was, it was a beautiful day like today, the mountains. I said, I'm in, you know, and ironically, the team with the really good goalie, I covered this guy. And uh, at the end of the game, uh, the, uh, he said to me, uh, here you're going to runner college. I said, uh, yeah, he goes, so am I. I said, no way. I goes, yeah. So, oh, he, at the time he was interested in going to runner college. Yeah. He's now my business partner. We played together. It's kind of funny. We played against each other in high school. So that's how I wound up down here. And uh, it was the best move I ever made. It was just been, it's been great. I never, never looked back going up to the Northeast, fell in love with Virginia. And uh, that's all she wrote. You've shared some of the history of just the program overall with me, and, and it became a program in 1972, and there were, some there were some club activities going back to 1965, but by the time you got there, it, it, it wasn't like there was this long and storied tradition, but 13 years after the first club activities, Roanoke is playing for a national championship. What would you credit that quick success to for the Roanoke men's lacrosse program? Uh, absolutely, Coach Griffin. Uh, he... Uh, I'm not trying to make our story analogous to uh, the miracle on ice, but Herb Brooks, you know, he was a kind of a Herb Brooks where he, he, he not only picked uh, good athletes, but he picked certain kind of character uh, work ethic. And uh, he built a team, which is really kind of amazing. In 72 was a first NCAA year, NCAA year. And they were not, you know, they were competitive a little bit with some of these schools, but to, in that short a period of time, you know, to beat Duke, beat Virginia, beat these schools that, you know, uh, be competitive with uh, North Carolina and and then win a national championship was uh, is really amazing. But I I definitely credit that quick rise to, to Coach Griffin and getting getting the right players in. Well, talk about NCAA lacrosse in the 70s. Um, you mentioned that you're playing the big schools, but it wasn't the way that we envision NCAA athletics now with the three divisions, NCAA division one, two and three. Back then, you were playing the big schools. Was that um, a challenge for a school like Roanoke and the size, or was that just kind of customary across a lot of the sports in NCAA sports at the time? Yeah, I'm not sure what, what Hobart's enrollment is, but it's similar to ours. And and um, uh, like they they beat in 77, my junior year, they beat Syracuse by like 14 goals and beat them again in 1978. Uh, they they uh, they lost to Cornell, number one team in the country, Division One, by two. So the, the really good uh, college teams uh, were definitely competitive with um, with uh, Division One schools. And we we played Virginia. We beat them 11-12, uh, I think 12-11. Then we lost seven six. Then and then rightly so, they dropped us from the program because you know they didn't want to lose to a, a college school. And, and I really can't blame them. And uh, but I was I was fortunate to have my cake and eat it too. Go to a small liberal arts school in, in Virginia. And to be the David and Goliath and, and, and play the big boys was really fun. And my um, my son-in-law played soccer at Duke. And I don't I don't bring it up. And now we're on, on air. I, I can tell we beat them four times. So that's kind of cool. And now they're, you know, teams like Duke would never play a run of college these days. It just, it's gotten to the point where um, the spread has gotten so, and I think it's because of the, there weren't as many players as there are now. You know, that that's, that's simply the, a fact. You know, it wasn't as widespread. When I first came down to um to Salem you know there was no no high school teams played and my when my six foot defensive stick went through the airport 
uh, luggage thing, people are like, what is that? You know, uh, it's a lacrosse stick, you know, what, what do you do with that? You know, now the team, the first team that I coached, the public school team, uh, Patrick Henry, back 25 years ago, we were 0 and 10, you know, it was the first public school team in the area. And now just in today's paper, there's a kid on the team who got offers to Ohio State, Yale, and Virginia, Virginia being number one team in the country right now. They got, and they also got three football scholarships from Notre Dame, uh, Tennessee, and Tech. So the, the, the athletes are getting out of the play lacrosse and, um, and the popularity is, uh, is, is pretty amazing. Like I was watching the Virginia-Maryland game uh, just a couple of days ago, and uh, the, one of the, the starting safety for Maryland was playing defense for, uh, for, uh, for Maryland, and it was a transfer. It was a starting linebacker from Stanford playing for, for Virginia. So it's, it's really getting, it's drawing a lot of better athletes, I would say, like all-around athletes, and, uh, and the spread between Division One and Two and Three is really large now. Well, I, I want to stay there, and we're gonna, trust me, we're going to get back and talk about that 78 season and particularly the championship game, but, I, but I, I, I want to hit on that point you just talked about because, you know, back in your playing days, it was confined to the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast, but now we're seeing the growth even here in Virginia Beach, the largest city in the Commonwealth population-wise, just made lacrosse a varsity sport at its public high school. So they're seeing the interest grow here. You, you'll watch the NCAA D1 championship on TV and you'll see 40,000 people in the stands and it gets great ratings. I think it's on Memorial Day weekend as well. How has the sport grown in, in your mind and how much more can it grow? Oh, I, I think one of the things that I think kind of hurt the growth and not because it's not a popular sport, and don't get me wrong, I have three daughters and two of them played lacrosse with the attack. So I'm all about equal, equal. But I think the way it works with, I guess, and I, I think the way it works with 80-something scholarships in football, you have to balance it out. So the men's sports kind of fight for that, 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 that position, you know, and it, they, they really have a hard time bringing it on. But I think um, now I know in the ACC and women, uh, they just added Clemson and Pittsburgh. It's definitely growing equally, but the women are really, it's really blowing up with the women. But yeah, my, my nephew played on the Maryland National Championship team a few years ago, Tim Rotans, and this was a player on his team, and I, I wish I remembered his name, but he was from Utah or Idaho, one of the states, and he was also being recruited to be a, an option quarterback. So he was a player of the year uh, in, in Division One. His fifth year, he went to Division Two school and won player of the year as a quarterback in football. And, you know, a guy from Penn State went to play for the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. You know, so you're starting to see a lot more athletes uh, play a spring sport like lacrosse. And then they might have an option, like, do I want to, like, this kid is good at, at Patrick County High School. He's like, do I want to play football or lacrosse? You know, and, um, but it's really growing across the country, California. When you look at the roster at Maryland, I, I couldn't believe Texas. Like, my, my, my nephew, Tim, his roommate was from Texas. That never happened in the 70s. You know, nobody in Texas played lacrosse, but you're right. It's growing, it's growing like crazy. Well, and we've even seen the formation of a professional league as well uh, with, with uh, I can't remember what the exact name is. I think it's like Premier League Lacrosse. So we're starting to see it. Like I said, it, it's getting down into the youth levels, especially here in Virginia. But but now I want to take the step back and I want to go back to that 1978 season. And, and we talked about it a little bit in the, the lead in, but in that 78 championship game, um, you're playing the two-time defending national champion, Hobart College. They actually knocked you out in the final four of the year before in the semifinals. What was your approach going into, into that particular game? Well, I, I think our, our coach, we had a whole week off between the semifinal game and the final game. And uh, 
we played the game on a Saturday and we graduated on Sunday. And the, the way our coach, they, they were like, like as an analogy in basketball, there's a full court press the entire game. And they played on their home field. They got really good fans and they're really supportive and loud. And they would just intimidate you. They would like cover you all over the field, double team you. So our coach in practice, he took seven players on six and kind of emulated that. And, and he had to move the ball or you were in trouble. And we had a whole week to prepare for them. And the fact that we played them the year before at their home field, we knew it was coming. So I think our coach, uh, our coach approach was basically, you keep the game close, I'll help you win the game. Just keep it close. So it got to be a 4-1 game and the crowd was going crazy. And, and we were down and our coach called a timeout and told us, calm down. If, if you, they score a couple more goals, it's going to be over quick. So we, we, we scored second, third, we tied it four to four, another timeout. He said, you know, just relax. We're going to, it's going to be back and forth. And I don't know how many lead changes there were, but it was several lead changes. You know, it was the whole game was back and forth. So that, that whole season though, was there, were there moments throughout the season that, that helped you guys navigate those challenges at the beginning of that game? Like give us a sense of going into the season, this had to be the expectation getting as far as you did in 77, the expectation was most likely winning a national championship. So when you're down four one, what could you lean on to get you through that, to get you through that scenario? Uh, hope and pray. I think it was, four <laughs> one. <laughs> you know, we, we did finally calm down and we got another goal and then another goal. And I think, you know, they were just dropping balls. The things that I guess the jitters, like, I guess when you play in a basketball game, you, 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 you lose the ball or you shoot an air ball. Once we got, once we got calmed down, I, I knew it was going to be a slugfest, you know, and, and we'd worked on this trick play for a week in the event that we were tied. So we had a game plan if it got down to the last minute. And I think our coach and we knew by the previous game that it wasn't going to be, we didn't feel it'd be a blowout on their side, but we felt if we had a chance, it's going to be a close game. We weren't going to win by five or six goals. If we were going to win, it'd be out by a goal. So we knew it was going to be tough. But as the game progressed, you know, we're going back and forth and back and forth. It, um, it was evident that uh, every ground ball at the end of the game was so important, every possession. And then when we finally got the ball, when it was tied, uh, we ran that, we ran a play and, uh, and we had worked on it and it was our coach's idea. And he was, he was, it was, it was, it was totally faked out. It was really a great play. Well, t tell us about that play. This is the play you're, you're tied 13, 13 in the national championship game. You're a defender. You're not necessarily known for scoring the goals. You're known for stopping the goals, uh, helping to stop the goals. But give us a sense of that play. I've read a little bit about it um, on, on Roanoke College Athletics history, but I, I want to hear it from you. Give us the play. Tell us how it happened and, and tell us uh, how it got you over the hump. I, I think, again, it's analogous to like uh, a tackle eligible or having a, a three point shot by your center that, you know, like they weren't expecting it. So. Yeah. What happened, uh, it's been 45 years, but I, the, the, the way I remember the semifinal game, we were playing UMBC. And so we had a midfielder come off. We had a timeout. The midfielder came off the field and into the box and an attackman came out of the box and a midi is covering a, an attackman. So you usually want, a, usually want a defender covering an attack with a bigger stick. So it's kind of a mismatch. You know, I guess like a, a forward posting down a guard. So now we have a situation where uh, this attackman goes behind the goal, comes around and scores. And I assume that the Hobart scouts were there watching it. This is a play they run. And it was a, an important part of the game. Well, we go to the final game and the same guys in the box, but instead of him coming out of the box, a defenseman comes on the our defensive side of the field. So everybody's looking this direction at the box 
and all the activity, the whistle blows, and this guy runs off the field, and I'm over here on this side of the field, 50 yards from the box, and uh, the whistle blows, he looks this way, and then turns around, throws me the ball, and I run down the field with nobody near me, there wasn't anybody near me, and had these two defensemen with our two best attackmen, and like, pick your poison, do you leave? It's like a three on two bass, fast breaking basketball. Do you leave the guy? So the closer I got, and I don't blame him for not leaving, um, I got inside the restraining line. I just decided to shoot it low and hard. And my adrenaline and my excitement, I was like five or six feet off. I was aiming for one side of the goal and it went on the other side of the goal, which had me the best place to put it. But it wasn't, it wasn't by design. It was just by total luck. And it went in. And, um, but I have to say, though, if, if, we, if our goalie had played a great game, we would have lost by five goals. He was unbelievable. He had 18 saves in one half. And the, the, the real story, um, Will, is after I scored, you know, we had 40 seconds left and their crowd is going crazy and they win the face off and they come down. It was deafening loud. They take a shot. John makes a save. The ball gets loose. I have the ball on my stick for a few seconds, gets checked. They get the ball out. It's like 10 seconds. They get their best player. They have guys screening, screening in front of the goal. The crowd's going crazy. He shoots low and the game ends on a save. The game ended on a save. So John, our goalie, really gets all the credit. But I, I get the I get the goal. But John was the one who was the man of the hour. Well, you, you get the glory because you scored the goal. But give us a sense in your mind as you're running towards the goal and you're thinking to yourself, "I have this opportunity." Were Were you an ac Would you define yourself as an accurate shooter when you had those opportunities, or was this a I'm just going to let it fly and hope it goes in? Well, I have to say that I shot only one time the year before and scored on him. So I, I did pretty good on, on that guy. But I, I think in lacrosse, coming from a big stick, because they're not used to seeing that big stick and low, and it's, it's not a turf field, it's a grass field. So a lot can happen when a, when a ball's low. And he was a lefty goalie, and it went on his opposite side to the, to the opposite side. So it was really, um, I, was, I was honestly just shooting really hard to make sure I got on a cage. I didn't care where, as long as I went on a cage, to have a chance of getting in and, I was just fortunate it went to where it was the best place to go. But I, I can honestly say it wasn't like I was like really aiming there. But, but I, I did want to get on goal. But uh, I, got, I actually got body checked. And when I got up, I didn't know until I got up that it went, went in because the guy did come out eventually and body checked me, knocked me down. And I, I looked up and it was in. I couldn't believe it, you know. But I was really extremely nervous because that was a long, long 40 seconds. My wife, who was at the game, and she was a freshman at the time, said it was, it was a nightmare, those 40 seconds. We won, if we won the face-off, we probably win the game, but we lost the face-off, and it was, uh, it was really an exciting game. And I think they'll, they'll say the same thing. You know, we, we uh, lost 14-12, and that was their closest game the year before. So we're definitely evenly matched uh, teams, and we were, it was a fun game to watch. Talking about time going slowly, you already made the analogy to the miracle on ice, but Mike Ruzioni from that team in, in pretty much every documentary that they, that they talk about, that, that they talk about basically says that, um, he took a shift. He, he left the bench for a shift. He looked up and said 10 minutes. He thought he came back and it was a minute long shift. And next thing you know, the clock just says nine 56. So time just does not go by fast when yeah. you're in moments like that. Oh, it was, it was so long. It was so long. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 uh, like I said, I can't give John, uh, Sullivan, call him Sully enough credit because he was, he was just insanely good. I mean, and you can tell by, the for being in the for, uh, second half that he was just totally focused, you know, and uh, he was uh, he was the man of the hour, you know, I get the glory, but 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 John was the real hero of that game.
Well, in, in a team sport, we know that there's a lot of pieces that that go into to the overall success. But, you know, you, you win the national championship. What is the feeling amongst the program, amongst the the, the alumni that helped start the program? And, and, you know, you set you basically set up the foundation for future success for Roanoke College. So when you're when you're in that moment celebrating the, the 78 national championship, just give us a sense of what you and your teammates are feeling at that time. Well, personally, I was feeling that I wish my dad had been there, you know, uh, it would be kind of, kind of nice. But I remember thinking about my my middle school coaches and my high school coach, because like back then, it wasn't any cell phones and, you know, that thing. And so my mother, interesting enough, my mother said, you know, you're the first one to get a college degree, Bob, and I can't be in Geneva, New York and Salem in, in a day's notice. I got, I'm going to go to graduation. And I was in shock that, that she wasn't going to be at the game. I said, Mom, the heck with graduation. This is the national championship. You know, I got to be there. So uh, evidently there were a holiday in and uh, she gets the call. No, it was on the news. It said, Ronald does the impossible details in a minute. So my, my, my mother's freaking out and uh, says, Ronald Collins was a national champion. Senior defenseman Bob Rotan scores. And she went, I think she broke a lamp. She went totally crazy. So that my, my thought was, you know, back then it, the news was so delayed. Yeah. That I really don't think any Roanoke College student at the time really thought we were going to win the game. They were happy we were there. And I guarantee you, nine out of 10 goes, they won. So that was kind of fun. Like, wait till people hear about this stuff. You know, it's going to be, we're going to, it's going to be crazy because they were so good. And um, to win them on, to beat them in the whole, whole, their home field was really quite an accomplishment. Not to continue the parallels between 1978 Roanoke Lacrosse and the Miracle on Ice, but the game against the Russians was on tape delay during the Olympics. <laughs> so. Sorry about that. That's okay. So, so yeah, there's a lot of parallels between the two moments. Um, but, you know, you, you end your career, obviously, on a high. Um, you, you, you had a great career overall at Roanoke College. But what led you to stay in Roanoke in Southwest Virginia post-college? I mean, that that's, like I said, you're from Long Island, but this is now where you've made your home the last uh, 45 years. Yeah, well, it's, it's just one word, Wendy Everback, my wife. Uh, she was a freshman and we met and it was like kind of an instant thing. And I never thought about, I wasn't really sure what I was gonna do when I graduated before I met her. Uh, when I played in a North-South game up in Cornell after the championship, it was like all the divisions played, you know, the graduating seniors that, that, that made, were fortunate, fortunate enough to make the team. I was in the South team and my coach was from Delaware and my coach, Coach Griffin said that, you know, always called me Robert. Robert's interested in getting an MBA have any, have any openings and he said yeah i'd love to have bob be a grad assistant so prior to meeting her i was probably going to go to, to to delaware but uh i didn't want to have that long distance thing and i didn't want to come back alumni weekend and say man you really made a mistake so i stayed right in salem and um and i got a job at an insurance company which really wasn't me and then when i was 24 and she was going i guess in her senior year i opened up mac and bob's with 10 stools and mac and i had five thousand dollars and i said let's let's see what happens and then when she was doing her student teaching her senior year, she met a lot of people from Salem. And she said, you know, let's give Salem a shot. I said, well, I love it here. But if you want to do it, with, she's from Louisville. And I said, we'll go to Louisville if you want. We're not going back to Long Island. She goes, no, let's stay here for a while, see what happens. And uh, so we rented a place on Broad Street, which is one block from campus. And she had our place. I had my place back then. You didn't live together. And, you know, when mom and dad came down, we had our own places. And then we wanted to find a house on Broad Street. So since 1974, I've been like in a four block. I can see the college from my house. I can see the college from where I work. So I've been in a four block area since I was like 18 years old. It's kind of crazy, but I love it though. I love the town. The town's really embraced us. It's, it's a great community. So 
I have no complaints. Great place to raise a family. So yeah, it's, I didn't do too much movement. I, if you told me when I was a freshman from Miami, you'd be the rest of your life, pal. I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's funny how things work out though. We, we hear from anybody who travels from this area out there and even Central Virginia, they, they always got to make a stop at Mac and Bob. So the, the, the word is all around Virginia about it. But talking about your, your commitment to the, your alma mater, it goes beyond just athletics. You've also been awarded the Roanoke College Medal, which is the highest honor awarded to alumni. What, what does an award and an honor like that mean to you? Well, you know, I'm very proud of anything I've done athletically, but but this thing, uh, I was surprised when, when I heard the news. It's it's kind of um, it's uh, your commitment to the uh, to the Roanoke College community, and I've been on the pres president's advisory board for decades, and I, I always help out the college. Um, and what my partner Joe and I uh, decided to do, you know, back in the day, we 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 never took ads out of radio or TV, newspaper. We couldn't afford it, but we always supported the community uh, events and high schools and, and the college. So all those years of, of, you know, being involved in the community. And I guess the three things are, you know, commitment to Roto College, uh, community involvement, and then my professional life. So, you know, having a 10 stool restaurant and then now it's 330 seats. So we've won some awards, those three things. But as much as I'm proud of being a national champion and being honored the player of the year, and this of course is unbelievable honor, you know, the Rona College medal is, is, I think, definitely one for me because it's like an all-encompassing citizenship. And I was really, really heartfelt. I was really uh, uh, emotional when I found out I was going to get a medal from Rona College. It was pretty cool. For you personally, what, what drove you and what made it so important to be that pillar for your alma mater and the community? Well, you know, Will, it's, it's kind of funny uh, how little things affect you. I was um, in middle school, maybe seventh grade. And uh, they canceled this like football thing they have at the school. So they went out and did like a rec program and North Shore Fence Company bought our, our, our all of our equipment, the helmets and uniforms. I go, that's pretty cool that a company would buy our team this stuff, you know? And I've never, I'm, I remember that as a kid and how much that, that meant to me. And we tried to do the same thing at the restaurant. You know, we can, we can take ads out and we can do a lot of stuff, but I think, you know, I don't do it for this reason, but you know, for instance, we'll take a, um, there's a local high school golf team. We'll take an $150 golf sign out, you know, we do it every year, but they'll bring in the whole team and have dinner for 400 bucks. You know, it's, it's, it's just the way we like to do business. And, it, and it's, and it's always felt good. And, and I think when we had to go through a class action suit and we were looking at maybe possibly closing down and we're looking at the seven, seven figure payout possibly that the whole town rallied around us. It was all because of our our commitment to the community. They kind of had our back, which was, I didn't see that coming, but it was so heartfelt by us and our management team and the whole restaurant. It was like, wow, this is crazy how, how to, as a matter of fact, not me, but one of my employees' father did a GoFundMe um, for our legal fees, to help with our legal fees. And at one point we were the fourth largest, fourth fastest uh, GoFundMe in the world. We were like, it was crazy. I mean, all this stuff was happening to us because of our 40 years of uh, giving back to the community. So I think it was definitely the right move. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a feel good thing for sure, Will. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, community is a big part of what we do here at the Hall of Fame with our scholarships and our mental health programming with the Children's Hospital here. And, and it's just always great to see how sports can kind of be the foundation to, to build that, that community commitment. Um, I'll get you out of here on this. Got one question left, but you're now gonna be the fourth inductee into the Hall of Fame with connections to Roanoke College. 
uh, Frankie Allen, Paul Rice, and then basketball coach Charlie Moyer uh, being the others. What does an honor like this mean to you personally, but also for a program like Roanoke, a D3 ODAC program? Yeah, I, I'm really, really happy for the lacrosse program. I hopefully this, this, this is kind of cool to represent Ronald Collins across is really uh, a great thing for me personally. And Frankie Allen, uh, we were, we got our medals the same day and he's a class guy. And when he spoke at the medalist ceremony about being like the first black basketball player at Ronald College and Martin Luther King getting killed when he was a student here and listening to how he navigated all that and how his teammates helped him through that. He, I knew he was a class guy, but he's a super guy. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, he came in to get a sandwich to go and he was, uh, he was out in the car. Uh, I said, hey, Frankie's out in the car. So I was like, supposed to be mum's the word. I go out to his pastor's side and I said, hey, Frankie, I'm going into the Hall of Fame with you. He goes, no way. So I said, don't tell anybody. It's going to be quiet. I had to tell Frankie <laughs> that I was getting in the Virginia Athletic Hall of Fame. But to go with him is, is really cool. And and uh, Paige Moore is a good friend of mine, Charlie's father. And and Charlie was a hell of a coach and a hell of a guy. And uh, yeah, Paul, all, uh, it's really, uh, with those guys, it's, it's really special, really special. Yeah, it's um, it, it's great. And, you know, we, in Virginia, we what we really like to do is without the top level professional sports franchises here, we, we focus on the hometowns. We focus on the colleges and universities. And so being able to provide that spotlight to a, a school like Roanoke is just really fits in with our mission. And uh, and we're excited, you know, 29 days away. It seems like just yesterday we made the announcement last November and now here we are less than a month away. So, Bob, we're looking forward to that. And, and again, thank you for taking some time today. It's been a pleasure catching up with you. And uh, we're looking forward to the induction next month. Well, thanks. Well, and thanks for all you do. You're doing a great job. You really are. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting more and more excited. I just talked to my girls yesterday about, you know, the hotels, the tickets. And uh, after I hung up, I'm, 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 I'm looking, can't come fast enough. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you for those kind words. It means a lot. Yeah, we're, we're very proud to be a, to just be a, a little part of the story. Um, but I'd like to thank everyone who has been following along and who will watch this. Remember, it's going to be on our Facebook page as well as we'll cut it up into the Hall Call podcast. Um, so I'd like to thank all of the sponsors. Again, once you see them listed over my shoulders, uh, be sure to stay up to date on all things Virginia Sports Hall of Fame and the Hall Call interview series by following our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube, all at VA Sports HOF or Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, we have multiple hall calls coming up in the coming weeks leading into the induction. Next up is legendary Christopher Newport University track and field legend Sheila Trice Myers, Monday, March 27th at 1 p.m. Once again, I'm Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. The 2023 induction is just 29 days away. Whatever you do, participate, don't spectate, and we'll see you next time.